All right, so last Sunday we started a new sermon series on the subject of fear, and today we're going to continue on with that, and for the next two weeks after this, there is absolutely no question in my mind about the prevalence of fear in our world, and some evidence of that prevalence was the response to the texting exercise that we did last Sunday morning at the start of the service. Uh, We received 58 responses to that question of what causes you fear, and the feedback was pretty revealing and uh, even overwhelming. Now, in your bulletin, you have this little pink insert, and on the back of that is a graphic that I want you to take a look at. I want you to get that out and have that in front of you. This is a graphic that was created by taking all of the responses that came in and putting them into this program that creates this kind of a word cloud. And what it did was it it took the the words that were, were spoken most often and those that got the most mention that came up the most number of times, those ended up in larger print and then it went on down from there. So there were some things that were only mentioned once that didn't make it in here. Um, so if you don't see your particular fear on there, it's just because there were others that were mentioned more often than yours were. If you are the person that mentioned that they're afraid of Pastor Paul, I'm sorry, but that was only mentioned once, so it didn't make it onto this graphic. <laughs> uh, come and see me afterwards, by the way. We've got to fix that. <laughs> I'll meet you out back. <laughs> Two things that I want you to do uh, in process, having seen this graphic. First is simply to be aware of the fact that there is a multitude of fears that people are facing right here in this group in our own church family. Um, That should say something to you about the prevalence of fear, uh, even in our own lives as Christ followers. Second thing is that I hope you will use that to motivate your prayer life for your church, for the brothers and sisters that are sitting around you. We need to be lifting each other up in our battle against fear. The presence of fear in our society is growing rapidly. It's an epidemic that seems to be out of control, and one has to be a bit confused by that. We live in one of the most secure, prosperous countries in the world. There are very few tangible threats to our existence day to day, yet the number of people living with fear in their lives is staggering. So because of this state of being, there are many souls seeking freedom from those fears, And there are many voices willing to give away their advice to help those around them overcome their fear. And so enter the world of psychology and self-help. Enter the internet. And I'm not going to spend any time today picking apart and questioning the advice that's being given to people in our society who are desperately searching for release from their fears. I would simply ask you to evaluate for yourself how the advice of those living without Christ measures up to the word of God. You decide for yourselves on that one. My approach to the subject of fear led me to see even more clearly than ever before that the answer to the fear that we face in life is not found in psychology. It's found in theology. And I want you to hear a story now of one of our family's experience with fear and where you think they found the strength to overcome their fears. And I'm going to ask Kurt, Joyce, and Rosalind Peterson to come now and share with us the journey that they've been on. Uh, Many of you have heard their story. Many of you have not. 
And I wanted you to hear it today within the discussion of fear. So thanks, guys. Rumor has it that um, last night at the hoedown here, um, Pastor Paul showed off his dancing skills. Well, this one and same very Pastor Paul, um, in his wisdom, uh, thought it would be a good idea for us to get up here. So be afraid. Be very afraid. (laughs) Public speaking isn't necessarily our favorite thing to do. And yes, there's a certain amount of fear that goes goes with that in and of itself. But combined with the emotions of our personal experiences, it does pose a bit of a challenge. So please bear with us. And first of all, fear is not a topic that is unique to just us. All of you have had some kind of experience with fear. That said, many of you already know our story, but perhaps not from the perspective of what role fear played in it. So again, please bear with us as we share our story again with you. Also understand that no way we are asking for sympathy because of the challenges that we have gone through. All of us have gone through difficult, scary times in our lives, but instead we hope and pray that via our story, one could find encouragement in one way or another. Kurt and I got married in April of 1990. Any question now as to why I'm here talking to you this morning about fear? (laughs) All kidding aside, we were blessed with our one and only child, Rosalind, who was born on September 1st, 1996. It didn't take Rosalind long to give her first-time parents some challenges. Some of the first problems we noticed were skin and allergy sensitivities that she struggles with to this day. At two months of age, she was diagnosed with a condition called hip dysplasia. As first-time parents, the thought of seeing your daughter go through wearing harnesses, body casts, and during major hip surgery, more body casts and harnesses is at the very least scary. Had we known at the time of her diagnosis that this process alone was going to take over two years to go through, we would have likely folded under the fear of the journey ahead. But God, in all his mercy, revealed this journey to us one day and one doctor visit at a time. At five years of age, Rosalind thought she would challenge us once again. One day I was home feeling the effects of the common cold, and I noticed that Roz was acting pretty lethargic. I made the assumption that I'd probably shared my cold with her, and that's why she just didn't seem to be herself. Upon Joyce getting home and seeing how sluggish Roz did seem, being the smart, concerned mom that she is, she suggested I call Roz's doctor. In doing so, I spoke to a nurse who told me to count the respirations per minute. Upon doing that that and sharing that information with the nurse, she calmly, yet with a bit of urgency in her voice, encouraged me to bring Rosalind to urgent care to have her looked at. We could tell via her voice that we needed to go quickly. Upon arrival um, to urgent care, we were immediately escorted to a room where three doctors quickly surrounded us and began administering care to our daughter. With a flurry of activity, doctors and nurses consulting with one another, with us as parents, we are told that she is having an asthma attack and the uh, urgent care cannot give her the care that she needs. They called an ambulance, loaded Roz, Joyce in it as quickly as they could. En route to the hospital, Joyce noticed that the oxygen wasn't working properly, told the EMT, and he quickly found the disconnection and thanked Joyce for saying something. They drove to Minneapolis Children's um, with lights flashing, sirens sounding, and speeds approaching about 90 miles an hour. 
I drove our vehicle to the hospital, and by that time, by the time I got there, they had Roz in the ER and were feverishly working on, uh, on her, and she was in immediate danger. Her heart rate was about 200 beats per minute. The EMT that cared for Roz in the ambulance pulled me aside, had me sign some paperwork, and in the course of doing so, told me that there's really no reason that she survived this asthma attack. Upon hearing that, there was, uh, upon hearing that, the fear was only intensified, and I went to be with her in the ER. Not only were Joyce and I afraid, but she could look in Roz's eyes and see the fear there as well. She looked at us and then looked at the doctors and nurses as if to say, what's happening to me? As they poked and prodded her with, ne with needles. After some time in the hospital, th thankfully, Roz was able to make a full recovery. We would think that by now, Rosalind would be done with providing medical challenges to us. But she had her biggest battle still ahead. At nine years of age, she was diagnosed with hemolytic uretic syndrome, which to our knowledge is the worst form of E. coli one can get. Through this battle, she faced many challenges, including the following. Dehydration, diarrhea to the point of passing rancid blood every 15 minutes, fever, abdominal surgery, perinatal dialysis for kidney failure, blood plasma and platelet transfusions, too numerous to count, two to three days in the pediatric intensive care unit, pancreatitis, heart implications, 37 days in the hospital. Neurological implications resulting in a brain injury that we didn't realize until we came home after those 37 days in the hospital. Relearning basic skills such as saying the alphabet, tying her shoes, buttoning her shirt, reading, etc. As you can imagine, with each of these steps, fear was present. Not only for us as parents, but also for Rosalind as she faced the many needle poke surgeries, feeding tubes, the frustration of having to relearn so many things and not understand always what was happening to her, not to mention just the feeling of feeling lousy and seemingly not being able to get stronger and better very quickly. At this point, we think it's necessary to point out the fact that some positives did come out of all of this, things such as becoming aware of how important blood donation is and as a result, organizing some blood donation drives. Another benefit was being able to give back to the hospital by even to this day volunteering on the parental advisory board as well as multiple committees and Kurt was asked to serve on the board of trustees for the hospital as well. One more benefit was a generous gift from the employees of the company that Kurt worked for at the time in the form of a trip for our family to Disney World in Florida. I think Rosalind would like to give a little input at this point to share her observations of how fear even impacted that trip. As part of our trip to Disney World, we had a, the chance to ride many rides. One of them was Mount Everest roller coaster at Animal Kingdom. I really wanted to go on it, but Dad was too chicken <laughs> to go with me. So I convinced Mom to go with me instead. In all fairness, I, I did ride the other one at the other park, so... After all this, one would think enough is enough. This time, Joyce, however, had different ideas. Joyce and I were invited over to Bob <coughs> and, and Kathy Kaysons for dinner and, and some table games one evening. Just as we were starting our, our meal, Joyce began to get off her chair and said, I'm sorry, 
and proceeded to pass out cold on the floor. She stopped breathing, began to turn blue. Kathy called 911 while Bob and I did our best to revive Joyce. The first responders showed up very quickly, gave oxygen, which likely saved her life. The EMT pulled me aside again and said that they were, they were getting Joyce ready to put in the ambulance, but that it, it might have been a stroke that she had suffered. Once again, we found ourselves in an ambulance with lights flashing, sirens blaring, as we went ourselves as at 90 miles an hour back to the hospital. Joyce was diagnosed with a low blood pressure disorder that she's on medication for, and she's doing fine with it now. She also was diagnosed with uh, basal cell carcinoma on her nose and had a surgery for that. She also had a lumpectomy for some precancerous cells as well. As if that wasn't enough, I also lost four years ago my father and uh, just this past January um, my mom to uh, a sister disease like Alzheimer's. So how does fear play into all this? Fear is part of our life, whether we want it to be or not. And it is an unavoidable human emotion. In our opinion, fear comes in many different forms. Fear can come with an adrenaline rush in life and death emergency situations. Fear can come also in the form of public speaking or the anxiety one might feel about riding a roller coaster. Death or the process of death can be natural fear for humans. Because of the economy, finding and or keeping a job can be scary. Pain is scary to all of us. Dealing with fear is part of the life experience here on earth. We are all going to experience fear at some level in our life. But we don't have to live in fear. The Bible says in Isaiah 35:4, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. As Christians, we know there is so much beyond this life. And once we are in heaven, fear will no longer be part of who we are. We have been blessed by our Chapel Hill family and owe you many thanks for all the support you've given us through the years. Thank you. May God's word comfort all of us, especially when we face our fears. Thank you very much, you guys. When you face significant fear in your life, it's hard to imagine that advice that's common, like believing in yourself, is an effective source of strength for overcoming your fear. So what I want to do today and next Sunday is talk about the theological answer to the fears that we face. I do believe that the ultimate source of strength and perspective is found in God and any other discussion of methods for overcoming fear comes after a theological discussion on where we are with God. The material that I'm using for this sermon and next week comes from an author by the name of Lloyd Ogilvie. He wrote a book on living without fear back in 1987, and to this day it is well worth the time spent exploring it. He lists 12 steps or principles that will lead to living without fear, and I want to look at each one of those steps with you. Uh, there's a lot here, and I've provided an outline on the bulletin insert where you can take note of these steps and anything else that might be helpful to you. 
I will put each step up on the screen for a while so that you can get it down if you choose to. And you're going to see by the end of the sermon today that I'm only going to get through two of the 12 points because there is a lot here. Nobody would question the effect that fear has on us. In many ways, it can make us retreat from life instead of living life to the fullest. Fear saps our energy and it robs us of joy. It chases happiness out of the room. It steals clarity and wisdom. It's an unwelcome presence at any time. So how do we move towards a life that doesn't include suffering the effects of fear? Well, we can't go through life without facing fear. What the Peterson said was absolutely right. Fear is a part of our lives whether we want it to be or not. We cannot just wish it away. How do we identify it and face it head on with power? Lloyd Ogilvie gives, uh, observes that our fears come from four different but interconnected worlds, and these are what they are. Uh, the first of these worlds is our global world. This is a frightening world that we live in. So all we have to do is watch the news, and we're instantly faced with a multitude of fear-inducing reports. Um, for myself, I, I can't watch the news right before I go to bed. I just can't do it. There's too much there. There's a lot going on that's terrifying. Now, nationally, we're in, pretty, in a pretty good place, comparatively speaking, but globally, that is a different matter altogether. Uh, some of it you can just shake your head at, um, like the group that's uh, currently spreading the word out there that the world is most certainly going to end on May 21st of this year. But it's a lot harder to ignore things like what's happening in Libya and other places right now, or to watch what happened in Japan this week and not be affected by it at all. The second of these worlds is our personal world. And by that I mean the people, situations, and circumstances in our personal external world. We fear people. We face fear over our job situation, financial situation, our health, our relational stability. There are many things in our personal worlds that can create fear in us. The third of these worlds is our inner world. And by that I mean our thoughts, emotions, memories, our imagination. Fear that comes from this place is often attached then to the people, situations, and circumstances in our lives. Surface fears are expanded and exaggerated by fears that are generated in our inner worlds. Some of the most common manifestations of fear from this world are fears caused by hurtful memories, and we'll look at those next Sunday. We face the fear of rejection, the fear of losing control, the fear of being inadequate, the fear of sickness and death, the fear of the future. But identifying fears at this level should lead us to believe that there is an even deeper level where fears are generated, and there is. This is the realm of our private world, known only to us and to God. And it is the root of the fears experienced in our inner world, which create fears in our personal world and make us more vulnerable to fears in our global world. This level affects every other level. But people have been trying for centuries to overcome fears on all levels except this one. Well, it's no wonder then that the fear epidemic cont continues to grow. None of the advice that you read in the online sources can affect this level. And I went and looked at some of the most popular sources out there. Um, didn't do much for me. None of the self-help techniques can be ultimately healing. It is here at this level and only here that we can receive profound love, the only lasting antidote to fear, perfect love. Only God at this level 
can love us as much as we need to be loved. The process of getting to where we're living without fear begins here in this inner place, our private world. Then we confront the fear it produces in our inner world and personal world and fearlessly and freely face the world around us. And my prayer for us as a church family is that as we go through this, we will become models, testimonies, a fearless minority in the society that has found peace at this deep inner level. So this is step one in the process. My fear is really loneliness for God. Therefore, I will claim his promise to never leave me or forsake me. Fear at its core is loneliness for God. We were not created to be alone. We were created to receive his love and to love him And incredibly, he is the one who initiated this relationship. He's always actively pursuing us for the sake of that relationship. But for some reason, it is so hard for us to believe in God's love. And one of the reasons it's so hard for many of us is that we've experienced abandonment at some point in our lives. That experience may have come through divorce, death, illness, alcoholism, absence, or many other situations. But what we end up doing with that experience is we tie it to God. The abandonment that we've experienced at the hands of someone else creates a defense in us that makes us think that God has abandoned us as well. And this is simply the opposite of reality when it comes to God. We desperately need God's presence, and his presence is always available. And it is in God's presence and only there that we can experience the healing that God has for us for those wounds that we've suffered that have crippled us. The lack of love we've experienced in our lives, God can fulfill that. The threats that have been made to us that love will be withheld from us, God cannot withhold his love from us because he is love. The estrangement that we experience in some of our human relationships is simply not a possibility when we choose God's presence. God will never Abandon you. Never. So how valuable is God's presence to you? Remember what Peter was talking about when he preached two weeks ago? Is God really your treasure or, it, or is it his blessings rather than his presence that you're seeking when you decide how to live your life? If God himself is really our treasure, it is him that we will seek And when we find him, we will find in him perfect love and our loneliness will be healed. Last week we talked about the reality that God knows. He knows boats, our lives. He knows storms and he knows fear, the fact that we will face fear. He desires to connect to us and to our fears. There are 366 fear not verses in the Bible. One for each day of the year, even for leap years. Most of those verses are followed by some reassurance or another that he is with us or a reassurance of his character, which is loving, carrying with it the antidote for fear. Isaiah 41.10 says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God says, don't look around. Look at who is with you. The reference to to God's righteous right hand was used as a metaphor to represent God's presence and power. 
is God's hand that lifts us up, that holds us up, that wakes us up. And it is by his grace that he does this for us. This is a quote from Ogilvy's book. You don't need to be afraid, God says. I am in charge of your life. I will never leave or forsake you. Trust me. Take this first step to living without fear. I am Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. And wherever you are, be more sure of this than your next breath. I will be there. Last week we looked at the story of Jesus calming the storm. There's another boat story about Christ in John 6, and it's the story of when he came to his disciples walking on the water. The disciples were freaked out once again, and Jesus says to them, it is I, don't be afraid. But the Greek term that's used in that sentence was much bigger than its English translation. Jesus said, I am, don't be afraid. Emmanuel, God, was with them. And God is with us. He comes to us in our fear with power and authority. No circumstance can withstand his presence. We not only have company, we have I am. And deep within our private self, the inner storm is stilled. In the deepest part of our beings, I am. Regardless of our circumstances, I am. And because of that truth, that promise, I can take anything. That's step one. Two months ago, we preached a series called Correcting Your Posture. We talked about the loss of the sense of awe and wonder we have in our relationship with God and how we approach him. Flowing right out of that concept comes the reality that fear grips us when we have lost our fear of God. Without that one creative fear, we have no defense against all our destructive fears. We need to express to God our awe and wonder through adoration, praise, and obedience. He is more than just redeemer and friend. He is also creator and judge. If we truly had no other gods before God, we wouldn't deal with nearly as many fears because so many of our fears result from the reverence that we give to people and things other than Almighty God. I'm talking about idolatry. And idolatry is giving to any person or purpose or plan the ultimate allegiance and control that really belongs to God and God alone. When we fear certain people in our lives to the point where we need their approval too much and we seek to please or impress them for the sake of meeting our own need for significance or security, we're raising them to the status of little gods in our lives. And the same can be true of our families, our careers, our possessions, our reputation, our health, our achievements, our dreams. Anything that we dread losing has been given godlike status in our lives. I want you to test that theory right now. Are you so concerned with pleasing someone or losing something in your life that the very thought of letting that person down or losing that position or that thing, whatever it might be, is causing you fear? If so, is it possible that that person, that possession, that position may be competing with God for first place in your life? As we claim the promise that God will never leave or forsake us, 
that change in our thinking should lead to a great challenge, is anything stealing the reverence that should be directed at God. So step two is this. I will overcome my crippling fears with a creative fear of God, expressed with awe and wonder, adoration and faithful obedience. God is the only person that I have to please. Okay, so how then can the Bible teach us to fear God and also command us to fear not? Well, it's the difference between dread and reverence. In Genesis 15:1, God speaks to Abram, and this is what he says. He says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Yet Psalm 112, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delights in his commands. And this is how that works. It is reverence for God that will lead us into a right relationship with him and awareness of his presence in our lives. Within that kind of relationship, we can gain access to the power that we need to overcome all of our fears. Power flows from a healthy fear of or reverence for our Lord. If we fear God, we will have nothing else to fear. So I'm only getting two steps out of 12 covered today. Next week, we're going to keep working on the steps, and we'll see if we need to stretch this series a bit. But here are the first two again for a review Step one, my fear is really loneliness for God. Therefore, I will claim his promise to never leave me or forsake me. Step two, I will overcome my crippling fears with a creative fear of God expressed with awe and wonder, adoration and faithful obedience. God is the only person I have to please. God is there to give you what you need to overcome your fears. Will you put him at the center of your efforts to do so? Ask yourself these questions. Are you lonely for God? Are you lonely for God? Then run to him. Do you fear the Lord? Give him the reverence he deserves, expressed in awe and wonder and obedience. Don't let your fear keep you from living the life that God intended for you to live. I'm going to ask you to bow with me in prayer. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to do a little self-examination right now. I'm going to ask you to respond to this. Are you living with fear that you know you shouldn't be? So many of you responded last week to the question that we asked with all those responses that were texted in. Many more of you didn't have your phone with you so you didn't bother. So I asked the question today, are you living with fear? I want you to put your finger on it right now. Just between you and God, in your heart and in your mind. Say, God, this is what I fear. Confess it to him. 
Is it a fear of the future? Is it a fear of failure? That one came up so many times. I'm afraid to fail. And I know that fear. Is it a fear of the future? Are you afraid for your kids? It's another one that came up so many times. Take that to God right now and say, God, I am afraid of this. I want you to admit to God your weakness right now. Simply say, God, I don't have the strength to overcome this fear. I cannot do this on my own. And I want you to ask yourself if if it's distance from God, if it's a loneliness for God that's at the root of all this. Or is it the fact that you just don't fear the Lord? You don't know what it means. You don't experience that. You don't practice that. You don't have the reverence for him that you should. You want his blessings, and so you're doing the right things to get the blessings. You don't yet get it that he is your judge still. And he has asked for your allegiance. He has asked for your obedience. Take that to God right now and admit it to him. Do you want to be free from the effects that fear have on you? Do you want to live being able to face your fears with confidence and power? not let your fears suck the life out of you, steal your joy and your happiness. And I'm going to ask you right now if you would stand and just say, that's it, Lord. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live with these fears. Will you stand right now and just say, God, get me through this. Head still bowed and eyes closed. If you're ready to make that statement today, I'm done. And just stand up right where you are. Say, God, I'm committed to this. I'm going to hear your promises from your word. I'm going to come to you with my fears. And I'm asking you, God, to help me overcome. Will the rest of you please stand, please? Father, we come before you this morning weak. We come before you not able at all on our own to face the fears that we have. Father, we need you. We need to be done with this. Father, we know full well that this is one of the greatest, most subtle and seductive tools that the enemy uses to keep us from living the life that you intended for us, the life that Christ died to give us. And we stand together this morning in the name of Jesus Christ.
claiming your promises, claiming your promise to never leave us or forsake us, claiming the fact that whatever we're facing, whatever fear it is, you have stated that you are there and you will see us through those fears as overcomers, as more than conquerors. Father, we admit that for the vast majority of us, we do not give you the reverence that you deserve. It's easy for us to to do the awe and admiration and wonder part, but then there's that obedience piece. And we're sorry, Lord, and we ask for your forgiveness for how we have fallen short. Forgive us for our disobedience. Wipe our slate clean so we can get up and try again. And help us in the trying again to go right to you knowing full well that you're there. We don't have to go far to find you. Father, I pray that you would walk us through these steps, this look at your word and your truth. And that every single one of us would discover the power that we need to overcome the fears that we face. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your promises. We commit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a